In the world of political podcasts, there are experts, there are pundits, and then there's Tom Powell. Happy Friday, and welcome to another episode of the Second Half Podcast with Tom Powell. Remember, remember, if you're listening to this, that means you made it through another week, and margaritas are in order. And now your host, Tom Powell. All right, folks, welcome back in. As the man in the intro said, this is the second half podcast, and I am Tom Powell. And this is usually the part in each episode where I give you a reason why you should go out and get some of those margaritas that the man in the intro talked about, and if I'm being completely honest with you, I don't have a reason this week. I just don't have one. There are no holidays this weekend, there are no major events, there are no milestones for me to tell you to go out and celebrate and to be honest with you I woke up to a pretty shitty fucking morning my wife woke me up this morning when it was time to get up and I was in the midst of a dream that she was traveling for work again she was in a state looking at a new facility that they're setting up and uh, so that was not a, a good way to end my sleep night. I haven't had a dream like that in a few weeks. And I don't know why this one came up, but that's what I was dreaming about. And then when I woke up, I woke up to, well, if I'm being honest, the fact that she's still employed with this company that I really cannot fucking stand. And below zero wind chills a couple of inches of snow and my driver telling me that his truck has an oil leak so there isn't a lot of positivity right now in my world and when we look at these situations internally my wife is far more optimistic about everything not just these specific events life in general And she chooses to focus on things that we can control rather than things that we can't control. Things that we can do rather than things that we can't do. And to be honest with you, it's what makes her a better person than me. It's what... It's what separates her and I. I hold on to grudges like a pit bull. And she just lets them go. She doesn't give people that have wronged her time in her mind. And I do. And she's a better person than I am. She just is. And I wish I could let the grudges go. But I'm having a hard fucking time. It's just not how I'm built. It's not how my brain works. (sighs) I don't know. I don't know. Life just really, 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 really sucks right now. Like, really sucks. And I am trying every possible angle I can possibly think of 
rectify some of the situations. From, you know, my wife's job to our trucking company to fucking everything in between. And, oh, I have no answers. (laughs) I have none. I have no fucking answers. And I... I know I'm rambling right now. We're going to get to all of the stuff that we t- typically talk about in here, but give me a minute to ramble if I could, please. I'm a person who historically, throughout the course of my life, has led, taken control, fixed things. We're going to throw $6 million worth of landscape work at you, and we need you to just figure it all out. Here's 45 guys, five bobcats, two dump trucks, and, and, and $6 million worth of work. You figure out how to manage it. You figure out how to make it work. And then I did. I don't know how I did, but I did. Here's this, here's that, here's this situation, here's that situation. You figure out how to make it work. And then I do. And now I find myself at this point in my life, and I can't figure out anything. I have no answers. And my wife is probably correct when she says, I just need to be patient. But patience, first and foremost, is not an attribute that I possess in any quantity. It is. It never has been, and I don't know that it ever will be. And my fear with patience is that patience isn't going to pay off. That it's going to be, be patient, be patient, be patient, be patient. Ah, shit, that fell apart. And I've been watching things fall apart for two years. Long before my wife was working where she's working, when we started the trucking company and when things started going south at her last job and, you know, the trucking company problems carrying over into this year and then her switching jobs and that problem being amplified 9,000 times. There just are no answers. And so, if I'm being completely honest with you, At the moment, with the exception of going to Jamaica in 32 days, there isn't a single aspect of life that's enjoyable. There are moments when we get to watch our son bowl, we get to watch our son participate in activities, when we get to see our daughter doing well in college, when we get to see our other daughter uh, other daughters doing well in what they're doing, their their jobs and their careers and, and, and things of that nature. And we see things that our grandkids are doing. There are moments that are nice. Most of my nice moments happen when my wife is by my side. And then the rest of it is just pure shit your shit and so I am kind of like on a
I'm lost. I am absolutely fucking lost. And I don't know what to do about it. And so my response is to get angry. To get loud. To get boisterous. To, I think, back people down. And say, all right, you take control. This means way more to you. You're over the top about it. You take control. You go handle it. And that's not right either. Pretty fucked up in the head, folks. And I don't know what to do about it. I'm hoping 2024 is going to be a much better year than 2023 is. And I allowed myself to get excited in the first two weeks of 2024 because there was some positive news on the horizon. At least that's the way it seemed. And that positive news may still come to fruition. But it looks less and less likely as the days go on, that it will come to fruition. And maybe my wife is correct. Maybe it is just be patient, and then one day that positive news is just going to manifest itself in front of us, and there's going to be an opportunity that we didn't think was going to be there, and it's going to make things better. And I am just not that optimistic about things. You know, they say some people look at the glass as half full, some people look at the glass as half empty. I don't know how I look at the glass as half full or half empty. You know, I usually look at the glass and go, hey, I'm thirsty and there's some water in it, whether it's half full or half empty. But when it comes to things that I don't have a very good feeling about and have little to no control over, I am pessimistic as fuck. And right now, I am in a fucking well of pessimism. Life just sucks right now. With no good news coming. Almost no good news coming from any area of life. It's like we are stuck in shitty situations that we can't get out of. And as somebody who was stuck in a shitty situation when he was a kid... And got himself out of it. That's a very hard pill for me to swallow. That I'm stuck. And I can't do anything about it. I have always been able to fix my problems. And I can't fix these problems. Anyway, I've been ranting for ten and a half minutes. And I haven't even gotten to the... uh, to the intro of the podcast, if you will. So I'm going to shut the fuck up about my personal problems and we're going to get on with this podcast. Uh, before we get into the news of the week, a reminder, as always, to make sure you swing by my website, which is oldhippymedia.com. That's old hippie, H-I-P-P-I-E, media.com. There you're going to find almost anything you want to know about me, including a link to my other podcast, which is called Off Topic with Tom Powell. Uh, over there, I interview people uh, about their life, things they got going on, things they got coming up, and I've got some pretty interesting guests coming up. I've had some pretty interesting guests so far, but I've got some more interesting guests coming up 
for those of you who follow people on TikTok like me, I've got Walter Masterson coming up as a, as a guest. I've got V from Under the Desk News coming up. I've got Jess Piper coming up next week. As a matter of fact, Nate Petrosky's coming up. I uh, still have the interview coming up here in the next couple of weeks with the uh, member of uh, Mission Control in Houston. Uh, so there are some pretty interesting things coming up uh, for that podcast. In addition to a link on where you can find that podcast, you're going to find links on where you can buy my books. I have uh, two books uh, that I've written that are out and available. Um, a, a link to my store. I have an e-commerce store, merch, if you will, t-shirts, hoodies, things like that. Uh, you're going to find a link to my Wednesday blog articles. I try to put a new blog article out every Wednesday. Uh, you're going to find links on where you can follow me on all the various social media sites, links to other podcasts I've been on, links to articles I've appeared in, and links on how you can contact me and generally support me. Once again, that's all at oldhippymedia.com. That's oldhippie, H-I-P-P-I-E, media.com. Now, before we get into the actual news of the week, we have to do our football segment. Uh, I do football picks every week, uh, all the way up to the Super Bowl. Uh, so the fact that we only have a few more weeks in the NFL season is going to make my wife extraordinarily happy. Uh, last week in the wild card round, I went five and one with my picks, uh, only getting the Eagles game wrong. Uh, I can tell you that the kid in Houston, Stroud, he looks like the real deal. And that scares the shit out of me because Houston is in my division being a Colts fan. Uh, the Cowboys are still the Cowboys and are going to remain the Cowboys as they have announced that they are retaining their coach. So Cowboys fans expect a lot more of the same in the future. Uh, the Packers seemingly cannot miss when it comes to picking quarterbacks. I just don't understand how one organization can just crank out phenomenal quarterback after phenomenal quarterback after phenomenal quarterback. And I know the Bears faithful are going to go, yeah, well, they had Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers for how many decades and they only got two rings. But they were contenders every fucking year and it looks like they're back to that again. And the Lions look like they're the real deal, folks. I mean, they really do look like the real deal this year. And I think the Lions are due and I dig that for them and that city. The Chiefs are in an interesting predicament this week in that Mahomes has to play his first ever road playoff game. And that's a crazy stat. When you think about Patrick Mahomes and all of the uh, postseason games that he's played, every single postseason game Mahomes, Mahomes has ever played in his NFL career has been in Kansas City or in the Super Bowl. He has never played a road playoff game. But he has to this week when he goes up to Buffalo. So, Let's take a look at those divisional round games and give you my picks. I think the Ravens are going to end the Texans' run, and uh, I think they're going to defeat the Texans and advance uh, in the AFC. I think the Packers are going to go uh, to San Francisco and lose to the 49ers. I just think that the 49ers are too complete of a team, but I can see these two teams hooking up in the postseason for a few years to come. I think the Lions are going to take the Bucks out in Detroit, and I think the Bills eliminate the Chiefs in Buffalo. And when you look at all of those picks, you're going to go, well, you went with all home teams, which I typically don't ever do, but yeah, I think that it's going to be all home teams. So my picks this week are the Ravens, the 49ers, the Lions, and the Bills. 
And if that comes to fruition, that's going to set up an NFC matchup between the Lions and the 49ers and an AFC matchup between the Bills and the Ravens, which both should be damn good games if that's how that goes uh, down. We will know before the end of this weekend, and we will discuss the outcome of the divisional rounds next Friday. Now, on to actual news. And we're going to start with a top Federal Reserve official saying the inflation fight seems nearly won. I'm going to read to you now from AP News. A top Federal Reserve official said Tuesday that he is increasingly confident that inflation will continue falling this year back to the Fed's 2% target level after two years of accelerating price spikes that hurt millions of American households. The official, Christopher Waller, an influential member of the Fed's Board of Governors, noted that inflation is slowing even as growth and hiring remain solid, a combination that he called almost as good as it gets. Waller's remarks follow recent comments from other senior Fed officials that suggest that the central bank remains on track to begin cutting its benchmark short-term interest rates, likely by mid-year. In December, the policymakers collectively... Well, let me just pause right there. You're going to start to see interest rates sink. So if you're looking to do an investment, now's the time. My daughter just put a bunch of her money, uh, thousands of her dollars into a seven-month CD at 4% interest. I just put thousands of my son's dollars into a CD at 4% interest rates because those rates are going to drop in the near future. So if you're looking to tie up some money in the CD and make a little bit of interest off of it, jump on it now. I, I We literally just pulled the trigger on both of them. So my son's got a CD sitting out there that we'll then look at in seven months. And my daughter's got a CD out there that we'll look at in seven months and see where the interest rates are at that point in time. But if you have any cash that you can invest uh, into, into something like a CD, a short, a seven-month CD, something of that nature, now's the time to do it, okay? Uh, in December, the policymakers collectively uh, forecast that they would cut their rate three times this year. Wall Street investors and many economists expect the first cut in March. Quote, the progress I have noted on inflation combined with the data in hand on economic and financial conditions and my outlook has made me more confident than I have been since 2011 that inflation is on a path to 2%, Waller said in written remarks to the Brookings Institute. The Fed prefers for inflation to be at uh, about 2%, which it sees as having little negative effect on the economy. Uh, consumer inflation, according to the Fed's uh, preferred measure, soared to about 7% in mid-2022 compared with a year earlier. In response, beginning in March of 2022, the Fed hiked its key rate 11 times to its highest level in 22 years. Year-over-year year, inflation fell to 2.6% in November. The Fed's measure showed, yet in his remarks Tuesday, Waller cautioned that the Fed might not cut rates as urgently as many on Wall Street have envisioned. He noted that the economy is continuing to expand with the unemployment rate at just 3.7%, not far above a half-century low while inflation cools. But will it last, he asked? Fed officials added, We'll want to see, he added, we'll want to see further evidence that inflation is still on track to 2% before embarking on rate cuts. We can take our time to make sure we do this right, he said. Before Waller spoke, Wall Street investors had placed 72% likelihood of a rate cut in March based on futures prices, according to CME's FedWatch tool. 
that likelihood slipped to about 65% afterwards. At the end of the day, what this generally means is the economy is strong, unemployment is low, inflation is slowing, consumer confidence is high. We are not going to see a recession, and we are going to continue to see a growing and expanding economy throughout 2024. And if we do get some interest rate cuts, if we get two or even the three that were predicted in 2024, it could spur a lot more growth. It could spur people to go out and buy cars. It could spur people to go out and build homes. It could spur people to put more money into the economy, which will further grow the economy. So it looks like we could be heading into, financially speaking, a damn good year in 2024. So keep your head up. Um, stay positive and just watch the rates. Just just watch what the Fed does. If the Fed starts to cut rates, we are really looking at a positive economy for sure. We'll see probably by the beginning of April whether or not that truly is going to be the case for 2024. I sure hope it is. All right. Moving on, we got to get into some politics, as we typically do here, and boy, is there a lot to talk about this week. Starting in Kentucky, where a Republican introduced a bill to legalize sex with your first cousin. No, I did not read that incorrectly. I'm going to read to you now from Louisville Public Media. I'm sorry, Louisville. You can't say Louisville when you're talking about Kentucky. It's Louisville. So I'm going to read to you now from the Louisville Public Media. Representative Nick Wilson of Williamsburg, who first gained fame as the winner of Survivor, David vs. Goliath, a themed season of the reality competition show that aired in 2018, drew criticism on social media Tuesday night for House Bill 269 hours after it, uh, it was introduced. Wilson, a 33-year-old former public defender and prosecutor who still practices as a private attorney, said the original intent of the bill was to create a new law protecting Kentuckians from acts that don't amount to intercourse from people with familial relationships. Quote, the purpose of the bill is to add sexual contact to the incest statute. Currently, incest only applies in cases of intercourse, he said. So we're seeing cases of sexual touching, groping, and those sorts of sexual activities by uncles, stepdads, people with those family familial relationships, and they're not included in the incest statute. Uh, statute. In a social media post Wednesday morning, Wilson explained that his bill would add sexual contact to the state's incest statutes. The change uh, would make that kind of contact a Class D felony. It would also increase the penalty to a Class C felony if the victim were under the age of 12. Wilson is a first-term representative who ran unopposed for the House District 82 seat in 2022. He said he feels embarrassed and frustrated by the attention and confusion the bill has drawn online, but that it's worth it if he can fix the bill and protect young Kentuckians. Obviously, the stereotypes or jokes that come along uh, that come with it, it's a little embarrassing, but I can take it if it's what it takes for me to, to pass a good law to protect the people. That's fine. That's the job I have, Wilson said. What I would hope is that it doesn't lessen the importance of the actual issue I'm facing, and if people want to make memes or jokes, uh, that it's directed at me and not the victims of child sexual abuse. 
Wilson has filed a number of bills seeking to enhance protections for young Kentuckians during this year's General Assembly, including legislation that would allow written reports of dependency, neglect, or abuse of a child. Legislation that would make it illegal to travel to Kentucky with the intent to engage in specified sexual offenses and a bill that would make it illegal to possess or traffic in child sex dolls. All great things. The Eastern Kentucky Republican plans to withdraw the bill on Wednesday uh, and refile it with the inadvertent change striking first cousins from the statute. I think if I had more experience, I would have made that. I would. I wouldn't have made this mistake. Wilson said, "I should have maybe had more eyes on it." I showed a few attorneys that didn't catch it, and I think that's because our focus was on the part of the bill that it was meant. That is the meat of the change. My apologies. We want to make. After it's refiled, Wilson wants the bill to get a second chance. I think that shows our system is working. What I filed doesn't automatically become law. There's many opportunities to review it, fix it, and then pursue it, Wilson said. Because I think this is a great bill. I think it's needed. I've seen lots of victims of this familial abuse. It happens, and it's a very bad thing. Well, maybe make sure that your bill is actually read the next time so that it doesn't include the fact that you can have sex with your fucking cousin. You could understand how people might take something like that, considering it has been the Republican Party that has fought vigorously in state after state after state against bills that would make marrying a minor illegal. Then we see this bill, which says, eh, we got to take cousin out of the whole incest realm because, you know, first cousins, what's the big fucking deal? And then you start to add two and two together and you go, oh, Not only do Republicans want to fuck kids, but they want to fuck kids in their own family. I think you can understand where the confusion might come in, champ. So how about you have somebody actually look over the bills who knows what the fuck they're doing? Personally, I don't believe a word he fucking says, but who knows? We'll see when the bill gets refiled. Moving on to... (laughs) Dr. Ben Carson, if you uh, recall that gentleman, Ben Carson gives us a prime example of why we say you're in a fucking cult when it comes to Trumpers. I'm going to read to you now from The Messenger. MSNBC's Joe Scarborough on Wednesday accused Ben Carson of selling this Trump is Jesus shit that had him both shocked and amused when the doctor made a Fox News appearance. On Morning Joe, Scarborough played a recent clip of Carson, HUD secretary under Donald Trump, with Fox News' Neil Cavuto. Quote, You think about the Bible and King David. Most of, what, uh, most of those people probably, if they were alive back in those woods, have said, Oh, what a horrible guy, Carson said. You know, the episode with the Hashiba and some of the other things that he did. And yet, he was a man after God's own heart. God uses different people for different times. You need somebody with a Manhattan business-type personality to deal with the administrative state. King David was Israel's second king, and he conquered Jerusalem, for those of you who don't know. Carson argued that Trump working among wolves in Manhattan could not be a flowery person. According to the former administration official, Trump is a wonderful guy uh, when he's not being attacked. Quote, but just to be clear, you're comparing him to King David, Cafudo asked Carson. After a long pause, Carson said, 
Uh, his volume was low, and he couldn't hear the question. Asked again, Carson answered, I don't know about him, King, but certainly has some policies that were very worthwhile. He goes from, Donald Trump is like King David, a man after God's own heart, to Neil Cavuto saying, okay, so you're comparing him to King David, Scarborough said as he was cracking up. He continued, and then he goes, you know, his policies on quantitative easing are fascinating. He kind of went all the way from Old Testament man of uh, man after God's heart to I like some of his policies. This Donald Trump is Jesus shit. Oh, Joe, come on, said co-host, uh, co-host Micah Przinsky. Co-anchor Willie Geist jumped in to clean up Scarborough's language a bit, calling Carson an unusual surrogate for Trump. None of this is going to win Trump uh, over... None of this is going to win Trump over any of those sort of swing voters that he won in 16 and lost in 2020, he said. None of them are going to come back if this is the kind of language he employs. And this is the kind of language we see out of Trumpers, right? Comparing him to King David, comparing him to uh, uh, God-like creatures. I mean, Trump himself even put out an ad talking about how uh, God created him to be president. Dude, what the fuck are you talking about, man? You need to chill out with this I am the fucking chosen one bullshit. But they're not going to because it's a fucking cult. (sighs) You know, there are many people in this country that are waiting for the cult members of Trumpism to wake up and go, oh, fuck, man, we've been duped. But I'm telling you, You're holding your breath if that's what you're waiting for. Did the members of Jonestown wake up? Or did they drink the Kool-Aid? Did the member of uh, Marshall Applewhite's Comet Cult wake up? No, they committed mass suicide. Did the members of the Branch Davidian compound in Waco, Texas, come to come to their senses and see the light? No, they stayed inside, huddled up with their dear leader as the building burnt down around them. There is absolutely no reason to believe that the cult members in Trumpism are going to wake up and see the light. They are going to follow this man right off the cliff to the very bitter end. Mark my words. Uh, Moving on, we still have an election to get through this year, and uh, we are in the middle of the primary season. Well, not the middle of, the start of the primary season, and ABC and CNN have already canceled their upcoming Republican debates because Ron DeSantis would be the only one on stage. I'm going to read to you now from the New York Times. Neither of the two Republican debates planned for the days before the New Hampshire primary will be happening. CNN canceled the debate uh, it was set to host because only one candidate agreed to participate, the network said on Wednesday, a day after ABC did the same. The CNN debate had been scheduled for Sunday and the ABC News WMUR debate for Thursday. CNN said it would host a town hall event with Miss Haley on Thursday instead after hosting one with Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida on Tuesday. Only DeSantis, who finished second in the Iowa caucuses, had said he would debate. Former President Donald Trump, who won uh, Iowa overwhelmingly, and we're going to be talking about Iowa here at the end of this episode, 
has skipped every debate throughout the campaign. And Nikki Haley, the third-place finisher in Iowa, said on Tuesday that she would not do any more unless Mr. Trump participated. We've had five great debates in this campaign. Unfortunately, Donald Trump has ducked all of them, Haley said on Twitter. He, uh, he has nowhere left to hide. The next debate I will do will either be with Donald Trump or with Joe Biden. I look forward to it. Ms. Haley is trying to present this race as a two-person contest between her and Donald Trump, despite her third place showing in Iowa. Her campaign has noted that Mr. DeSantis focused on Iowa largely to the exclusion of other states. He is pulling far behind Ms. Haley in New Hampshire, which holds its primary on January 23rd, and in South Carolina, where Republicans vote on February 24th. Trump, who was far ahead in the polls in both states, has been uninterested in debating either of them. He has cast the race as over and himself as the inevitable nominee. Now, part of that is a power play saying, well, I'm up in the polls. Why the fuck would I give you any time of day when it comes to a debate? And I can understand that. Part of it is he doesn't want to answer the questions about his 91 felony indictments. He doesn't want to answer questions about the fact that a judge, uh, a court has found him liable for rape and ordered him to pay millions of dollars to his accuser. He doesn't want to answer questions about the documents that he took from uh, from the, the federal government and hid in his bathroom. He doesn't want to answer questions about the things that he's caught on tape saying, like showing people uh, classified documentation and admitting that he never actually declassified them when he was president. He doesn't want to answer the tough questions. And he's got a million court cases in front of him, And that's going to be the focus of the debates. And he just doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to answer the tough questions about the things that he's done. And you can see that in the way he behaves in court. Something else we're going to talk about in a little bit. One person who doesn't have to worry about how he he says uh, things and, and, and reacts to things in a court of law is his lawyer, Joe Tecapina. Because Joe has fired Trump as a client. Excuse me while I wet my whistle. I'm going to read to you now from CNBC. Joe Tecapina has withdrawn as a lawyer for Donald Trump in two major cases facing the former president, one of which could go to trial in two months, the attorney said on Monday. Tecapina declined to comment when asked why he was no longer representing Trump. His withdrawal from legal matters related to the ex-president came hours before the Iowa Republican caucuses, where Trump is hoping to defeat his GOP challengers in a wide margin. Obviously, this news article was printed before the Iowa caucuses. Quote, President Trump has the most experienced, qualified, disciplined, and overall strongest legal team ever assembled as he continues to fight for America and Americans against these partisan, crooked, Joe Biden-led election interference hoaxes. Trump spokesperson Stephen Chung said in an email when asked about Tecapina's departure. He's got the best legal team ever. Why does he keep going through fucking lawyers? Why why do lawyers keep quitting and firing him and he keeps having to come up with a new legal team every fucking three weeks? He doesn't pay his bills. They all know he's batshit crazy and they all know he's going down. The dude's down to whoever looks good on camera and whoever he can find on late night television commercials. Call 222-2222. You know, one of those fucking bullshit things. That's what he's getting down to. He doesn't have the best legal team in the world. He never has. For fuck's sake, Rudy Giuliani was one of his lawyers at one point in time. 
Tacopina represented Trump in a civil lawsuit filed by writer E. Jean Carroll, who said he raped her in a New York department store in the mid-1990s and defamed her in late 2022 when he denied her allegations. A trial in that case ended with a Manhattan federal court finding uh, jury finding Trump liable for sexually abusing Carroll and defaming her. The jury also ordered Trump to pay Carroll $5 million in damages. Trump is appealing that verdict in the Second uh, Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals. On Monday, Tacopina filed a notice with the appeals court seeking to withdraw uh, the withdrawal of his uh, law firm from the case. A trial on a second similar defamation lawsuit by Carroll against Trump for comments he made about her while uh, president is set to begin Tuesday in Manhattan Federal Court. That case has since begun, and we're going to talk about some of the issues that Trump's having in that case as well. Tacopina was not representing the former president in that case. No, he's not. So Trump can't keep a lawyer, and the ones he does keep are really bad at what they do. Joe Tacopina did the smart thing. He got the fuck out. He represented Trump in one case. Trump said, I need you to represent me in two more cases. And he went, you know what? Fuck you. Not a chance in hell. You're batshit fucking crazy. I'm out. Trump's other lawyer, Alina Haba, is having a tough time faking being smart, as she suggested was easy to do. I don't know if you guys saw an interview she did on a podcast where she goes, anybody anybody can fake being smart. I can fake being smart. Well, you're not doing a real good job of it. Judge smacked her ass down in court. I'm going to read to you now from The Independent. There were tense moments in court in New York on Wednesday morning when Donald Trump's lawyer attempted yet again to ask the judge in the E. Jean Carroll defamation trial for a postponement. Alina Hava asked several times for Judge Lewis Kaplan to pause proceedings to allow the former president to travel to Florida for the funeral on Thursday of his mother-in-law, Amlija Canavis. I don't know if I'm saying that word right, or that name right. My apologies. In asking to renew her request to postpone the trial, the second defamation case against Mrs. Trump brought by former L columnist Ms. Carroll, Ms. Haba earned a sharp rebuke from the judge. Your Honor, clearly we are not going to finish this trial tomorrow. This trial will go into next week, Ms. Hava said as the uh, day two of the trial began. I am asking Your Honor to have the kindness that my client deserves to be with his family tomorrow and not have to choose to miss the trial that he has a right to be here for. Judge uh, Kaplan denied the request, noting that Mr. Trump has the right either to appear in person or be represented by counsel. Quote, and nobody is stopping him from doing either. The application is denied. I will hear no further argument on it. None. Do you understand that word? None. Please sit down, the judge said. Ms. Haba responded by asking the judge not to speak to her in that way. I don't like to be spoken to in that way. And we are going to be here for several days, she said. I'm not going to speak to Miss Carroll's lawyer, Miss Kaplan, like that. I will not speak to you like that. I'm asking your honor to please refrain from speaking to me in that manner. Judge Kaplan did not acknowledge her protest and again reiterated that her request to adjourn the case was denied and again told her to sit down. As Ms. Carroll's testimony continued throughout the morning, Ms. Haba peppered it with objections, at one point earning another admonishment from Judge Kaplan for not standing up when, he ad- when she addresses the court. The judge's rebukes of Ms. Haba were variously called uh, di- a disaster for the defense case, with proce- uh, predictions of a bigly loss from the former president, with the Trump attorney being called a hack, and Ron Filipkowski noting that she had just found out this isn't a Newsmax interview. 
There was more drama in the courtroom when Judge Kaplan threatened to remove Trump himself from the courtroom if he didn't stop audibly commenting on the testimony of Ms. Carroll. The judge acknowledged that the former president was probably eager to do so, to which, according to reporters in court, Mr. Trump responded, I would love it. Apparently, as Ms. Carroll was uh, testifying, Trump was saying things to people around him, and it could be heard by people in the court as well as the jury. And so the judge told him, hey, if you don't shut your fucking mouth, I'm going to remove you from this fucking courtroom. And Trump barked back, yeah, I would love it. I would love it if you did that. So I'll tell you what, judge, just throw this fucking sack of shit out of court. Tell him he's got representation there, and his representation can represent him if he can't keep his fucking mouth shut. Or have a bailiff come up behind him, hood him like a fucking falcon, and drag him away to an undisclosed location, where they will hopefully put bamboo shoots underneath his fucking toenails. Stop playing footsie with this prick, and do something. If he won't shut his fucking mouth, shut it for him. Okay? Now, before we get into the results of the Iowa caucuses, we must address something remarkably stupid that Nikki Haley said. And I know it's going to come as a shock that a politician said something stupid, but this was really fucking stupid. I'm going to read to you now from CNN. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley claimed the U.S. has never been a racist country. That's a direct quote. During an interview with Fox News on Tuesday. Haley's remarks were in response to MSNBC host Joy Reid's comments on whether Haley could win the GOP nomination as a woman of color. Haley suggested Reid, quote, lives in a different America than I do, pointing to her own rise from the daughter of immigrants to governor of South Carolina and ambassador to the United Nations. Quote, I mean, yes, I'm a brown girl that grew up in a small rural town in South Carolina who became the first female minority governor governor in history who became a U.N. ambassador and who is now running for president. If that's not the American dream, I don't know what is, she said a day after she came in third in the Iowa Republican caucuses. You can sit here and give me all the reasons why you think I can't do this. I will continue to defy everybody on why we can do this, and I will get it done. When asked by host Brian Kilmeade if the GOP is a racist party, Haley made a broader point that the U.S. has, quote, never been a racist country. We're not a racist country, Brian. We've never been a racist country, she said. Our goal is to make sure that today is better than yesterday. Are we perfect? No. But our goal is to always make sure we try to be more perfect every day than we, uh, that we can. I know I faced racism when I was growing up, but I can tell you today is a lot better than it was then. Our goal is to lift up everyone, not go and divide people on race or gender or party or anything else. We've had enough of that in America, she added. Her campaign later affirmed Haley's statement, America had, has always had racism, but America has never been a racist country, a campaign spokesperson said. Huh? America's never been a racist country. America enslaved African Americans in order to build its economy. Uh, America committed genocide on the indigenous people in order to steal their land and resources. America would not allow people of color to vote or be considered fully human beings 
for the longest period of time. And when they did get the right to vote, uh, they were hung if they tried to do so in many parts of this country. Uh, When we went to war with a foreign power uh, during World War II, we put people from that nation in internment camps because they looked like the enemy. After the towers were hit in New York, the backlash against Muslim people in this country was unheard of. Yeah, America has been a racist nation for a very long time. Do you not remember Jim Crow? I mean, do you not remember a little girl being screamed at, having shit thrown at her for trying to go to school with white kids? How the fuck can you say America has never been a racist country? And if you truly believe that America has never been a racist country, why don't you use your real fucking name, Nimrata Haley? Your name isn't Nikki Haley. Your name is Nimrata Haley. But you always see this with Republican people. The people that are of of foreign descent, the people that are not pure white Anglo-Saxon uh, people. They always change their name. Remember remember Bobby Jindal in Louisiana? His name was Peyush. Peyush Jindal. If, you're, if you don't fear racism in this country, why don't you use your real name, Peyush? How about Ted Cruz, whose real name is Rafael Cruz, whose parents came from Cuba? Why don't you use your real name, Rafael? Because you know what this country is like. And more importantly, you know what your party is like. And your party would never in a million years elect a Rafael Cruz or a Peyush Jindal or a Nimrata Haley. They just wouldn't fucking do it. And you know it. So her to go on TV and say that this is not a racist nation and it never has been a racist nation either shows that she's lying through her teeth or she has absolutely no fucking clue about the history of the country that she wants to lead. Either way, she's not fit to be president. Unfortunately, she still gives the Republicans the best chance to win and she could very well beat Trump in New Hampshire. I don't think she's going to, but she could. And it could actually make this a two-person race heading into South Carolina, her home state. So we'll have to see how New Hampshire plays out next Tuesday, but that was an incredibly stupid statement by Nikki Haley, and I'm sure that people on her staff are, uh, like, trying to figure out how to continue to whitewash this. No pun intended. Now, speaking of horrendous interviews, Trump gave an interview to Sean Hannity in which he continued to push his case for total immunity based on the fact that he was president of the United States. He said that without immunity, the other party would just indict any former president once they left office. He even said that things that cross the line need to be covered under presidential immunity. But here's what Trump fails to mention. He is the only former president that has ever been indicted for anything. If what he says is true, we would have a string of former presidents that have been indicted over the history of this country. It doesn't happen because because we haven't had a president like Trump before. We haven't had a president that was willing to use the power of the Oval Office, the power of the presidency, to do the things that Trump tried to do, to weaponize the Department of Justice to go after his political opponents, uh, to to, uh, uh, start unnecessary trade wars, to use our military as props, to protect himself Uh, through the power of the presidency and protect himself from being able to be criminally liable for the things that he's done. He wants to put the onus on everybody else 
without saying, yeah, but you know what? I'm the only person that's ever been president of the United States and then been indicted when I left office. So really what I'm trying to do is just protect my ass because I need protecting. Basically what I'm trying to say is that he's a whiny little bitch who knows that his uh, time is coming to a close. They have him dead to rights and he knows his life is crumbling around him and he's trying to put the onus on everybody. Well, if you do it to me, they're going to do it to you. No, you're the only person in the hundreds of years of history of this country that has, that this has happened to because you're the only president in the hundreds of years of history in this country that has done what you've done. You're trying to protect your own ass, not future presidents' asses. And if presidents do get total immunity, as you are arguing, then every fucking thing Joe Biden has done while in office is covered under presidential immunity. Therefore, he's not criminally liable for any of it, right? Yet you still want him locked up. You want Hillary Clinton locked up. You want Joe Biden locked up. You want Barack Obama locked up. You want people in their cabinets locked up. And then you want to turn around and say, you get immunity. Doesn't work that way, champ. You don't get to go lock up Obama and Biden. They were presidents. They get the same immunity as you. And if they don't get immunity, then neither do you, punkin. You don't get the immunity. You don't get to be immune to anything that you did. Remember, his lawyers, Trump's lawyers, argued in court that a president could order SEAL Team 6 to take out his political opponents and then not be held criminally liable for it. That is fucking insane. And despite all of that insanity, what happened in Iowa? Trump dominated the Iowa caucuses. I'm going to read to you from AB, excuse me, ABC News now. Donald Trump dominated the Iowa caucuses on Monday, taking his first important step to his third straight GOP presidential nomination and delivering a blow to his rivals who had hoped to capitalize on his legal troubles and earlier signs that uh, the base, excuse me, might be ready to move on from him. Not so, says ABC News. Trump is projected by ABC News to have defeated Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley by 30 points. DeSantis is projected to come in second with about 21% of the vote, and Haley to come in third with about 19% of the vote. New Hampshire will hold the next nominating contest with a January 23rd primary, and it could, primary, and it could offer a more mixed bag for Trump, given the independents and undeclared voters that participate there. But Iowa's results and the widespread evidence that key conservative voting blocks continue to embrace Trump as seen in entrance polling, marked an unquestionable win for the former president as the 2024 uh, primary season got underway. Unlike Democrats, uh, caucuses in Iowa in 2020, were, uh, which were ultimately out of step with what the party voters nationwide wanted, this year's Republican caucuses seem to have included relatively good representation of the larger GOP base around the country. The state is overwhelmingly white and rural, and the percentage of residents with a college education is below the national average. It's states like Iowa that represent the base of the modern Republican Party, built on very conservative, older, non-college, and evangelical voters, and Trump cleaned up. His overwhelming victory among voters who make up the heart of the GOP and the primary electorate underscores the daunting task facing Haley and DeSantis, as well as others uh, other critics not running for office who have now spent months on the trail and tens of millions of dollars trying to tamp down the former president's influence over the party. What's more, the extent to which Republican voters in Iowa have signed on to Trump's personal issues and embraced him even more in the past than in past cycles 
was made clear in the entrance polls of caucus goers. According to an analysis of the entrance poll, 65% of GOP voters said they don't think President Joe Biden legitimately won the presidency in 2020, echoing Trump's baseless claims of fraud, and 63% said they considered Donald Trump fit for office even if he were convicted of a crime. Nearly half said that they put uh, that they're part of the MAGA movement that Trump started. Uh, ideologically, 88% of caucus goers said they are conservatives, matching with uh, matching the high in Iowa uh, GOP entrance polls, including 51% who identified as very conservative. Trump ended up winning 54% of conservative voters, about 30 points better than in 2016, and he won very conservative voters with 60%, about 40 points better than he did in 2016 uh, in that group. DeSantis set to nab second place, claiming some success in a state where he had essentially staked his entire campaign and seen his poll numbers weaken somewhat in recent days. Anything less than being number two would have likely marked an embarrassment for a candidate who, along with a deep-pocketed political group, dumped enormous amounts of money into Iowa while building up an operation that persuaded and motivated as many voters as possible. Speculation had even mounted over whether DeSantis might drop out of uh, out of the race if he placed third. Instead, on Monday, his campaign said they were ready to keep competing. This is going to be a long battle ahead, but that is what this campaign is built for. The stakes are too high for this nation, and we will not back down, one senior DeSantis official said. Nonetheless, the night wasn't all good news for DeSantis. Trump still looks like he'll end up winning by a huge amount, demolishing the past record for a margin of victory in an Iowa GOP caucus of 12 points. The results also mark a disappointment for Haley and her surrogates after the South Carolina Republicans saw a consistent bump in polls in September, including recent Iowa polls showing her narrowly beating, uh, narrowly running ahead of DeSantis. The narrow divide in Monday's caucus results uh, between her and DeSantis means that no candidate can claim the clear mantle of the Trump alternative. A campaign spokesperson has said last week that there's only going to be two tickets out of Iowa, while New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, a top Haley surrogate, predicted earlier this month that she would shock everyone in Iowa with a strong second there. That didn't happen. Haley, like DeSantis, vowed on Monday that she will continue on. We're going to make you proud, and we're off to New Hampshire, she told supporters. Entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy suspended his presidential campaign shortly after being projected to finish a distant fourth in the caucuses, failing to break 8%. Ramaswamy also invested heavily in Iowa and was ambiguously present on the trail. Ubiquitously, my apologies, presence on the... Uh, uh, you know what? Fuck that sentence. I wrote it improperly. We're just going to move on from that. Iowans historically receive outsized media attention because they are the first to vote in each presidential nominating contest. But Ramaswamy's poor showing led some observers to question the value of in-person campaigning to Iowa voters and the value of so closely covering the comings and goings of the state. The entrance poll also showed 80% of caucus goers had already made up their mind about voting earlier in the month or before that, calling into question the value of the extensive campaigning the candidates did. Ramswamy had experienced a polling bump about around the first primary debate last summer and then largely plateaued before breaking through, leaning heavily on a hardline message of supporting Trump culture war issues, and conspiracy theories, including falsely suggesting that the January 6, 2021 riot on Capitol Hill was an inside job, quote-unquote. 
Ramzwami's national profile did rise, and he suggested money that he isn't planning on leaving the spotlight. He did a uh, an appearance with Trump where he basically licked Trump's ass and is basically trying to become Trump's VP nomination pick. But it doesn't seem like that's the argument voters were looking for in Iowa. About 14% of caucus goers said that the most important, sorry, my apologies, let me back up here. That uh, The argument about uh, what Iowa voters were looking for is something else entirely. I'm going to go on with some percentages here. I'm going to show you some numbers. About 14% of caucus goers said the most important factor in deciding their vote was finding the person who can defeat Joe Biden. And 12% of voters prioritized voting for the candidate with the right temperament per the entrance poll analysis. Roughly 75% of caucus goers prioritized the candidate who shares their values or fights for people like them. Haley... <clears throat> Uh, who touted her more expansive polling advantage over Biden than Trump's, was able to win a majority of caucus goers who wanted the right temperament, but basically tied the former president with voters who prioritized electability. Trump won 43% of voters who were looking for shared values, a huge jump from just 5% in the group in 2016, and won 82% of voters who were looking for a candidate who fights for people like them. Given Trump's increasing odds of winning the GOP nomination and his overwhelming win on Monday, both he and Biden are already focusing on the general election in the fall. Speaking on Monday night in Iowa, Trump zeroed in on how he feels the White House's policies have hurt Americans and the world, including calling out energy, immigration, and foreign policy. Democrats, for their part, seized on Trump's Monday win to rev up their own base. Donald Trump is the official 2024 Republican presidential frontrunner, and we need to do everything we can to defeat him. We cannot run on the risk. Of, we cannot run the risk of Trump or any MAGA extremists being at the helm of our democracy again. Biden's campaign wrote in a fundraising text. Turnout was flat uh, and lousy in Iowa on Monday, which saw sub-zero temperatures. The state's Republican Party estimated that about a hundred thousand people voted in the caucuses, falling short of the record set in 2016 when 187,000 people voted in the GOP caucuses. In 2016, uh, the record broke the, pre the party's previous uh, 2012 record of 121,000, which itself topped the 20, uh, 2008 record of 119,000. There are more than 750,000 registered Republicans in Iowa, however, so Monday's results represent the views of a fraction of one state's branch of one political party. Still, the state GOP touted the turnout. Early results indicate that we are on track to have around 100,000 Iowans participate in the 2024 first-in-the-nation Iowa caucuses. Iowans braved the record low temperatures after a blizzard blanketed their blah, 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 blah. Now I'm going to read to you from the Wisconsin Journal. Because you shouldn't lose hope based on those results. Okay? From the Wisconsin Journal, do not lose hope when you hear that former President Trump won Iowa's caucuses with 51% of the vote. Fewer than 110,000 people across Iowa caucused on Monday, so those percentages uh, as raw numbers don't look so good. Only about 56,260 Republicans voted for Trump, 23,420 for DeSantis, and 21,085 for Haley. Compare that to Judge Janet Protezui's uh, win in Wisconsin Supreme Court race with 1,021,370 uh, votes against Dan Kelly's 818,286. Only about 14% of Iowa's registered Republicans turned out for the caucus. 
Also, know that the Iowa caucuses are notoriously wrong in picking future presidents. In 2000, Iowans went for Republican George W. Bush, but in 08, they picked Mike Huckabee. In 12, Rick Santorum. In 16, Ted Cruz. In 20, Donald Trump. Iowa farmers were royally raked over the coals by Trump in his uh, one and only term in office based on bad trade policy, and Trump had nearly had to nearly triple the farm subsidies to our nation's farmers to make up for the loss. And Trump added $8 trillion to our national debt, something that uh, farmland folks don't take lightly. So did Trump dominate the Iowa caucuses? Of course he did. He had a huge win with a very, very, very small percentage of Republicans actually showing up and a small percentage actually voting for him. Now we're going to go on to New Hampshire and see what that means. I still believe that he is going to be the uh, ultimate nominee for the Republican Party, but I think it's going to be a tougher road than he thinks. Having said that, I think that we need to focus in on the fact that he is most likely going to be the nominee and we need to start looking towards a general election and how we're going to defeat him Again, lest we let our country fall to the hands of fascism. So as I continue to tell you, if you're not already registered to vote, you need to get registered to vote. You need to get your friends and family registered to vote. You need to get your coworkers registered to vote. And you need to make a plan to vote. You need to make sure that you are going to vote in November no matter what. Because the future of our country literally hangs in the balance, folks. I'm going to be doing a lot more conversations about registering to vote and upcoming contests in future episodes. So keep tuned into this, subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends, send it to as many people as you know that are like, "Ah, I don't need to vote, don't worry about it, and let them know that they need to get registered to vote. We have begun the primary process, people, and Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee. It's going to happen, whether we like it or not. All right, folks, that's all I got for you this week. Make sure you tune in next week for another all-new episode of the Second Half Podcast. Swing by my website, buy some merch, subscribe to my other podcast, pick up a copy of my book, either one of my books, and uh, make sure you tune in next week. And until then, as always, stay grateful.